0: The Lord be with you, and with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs he was performing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish feast of Passover was near. When Jesus raised his eyes and saw that a large crowd was coming to him, he said to Philip, where can we buy enough food for them to eat? He said this to test him, because he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 days wages worth of food would not be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what good are these for so many? Jesus said, Have the people recline. Now, there was a great deal of grass in that place. So the men reclined, about 5,000 in number. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed them to those who were reclining, and also as much of the fish as they wanted. When they had their fill, he said to his disciples, gather the fragments left over so that nothing will be wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 wicker baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves that had been more than they could eat. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, This is truly the prophet, the one who is to come into the world, Since Jesus knew that they were going to come and carry him off to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain alone. The Gospel of the Lord. Good, smoky morning to all of you. Praise the Lord. Here we go again, huh? There's another fire. As you see Portola, they had a layer of ash everywhere. And a lot of people were evacuated. We're we'll hosting a couple of parishioners from Quincy over because they had to be evacuated. So again, it's just like this recurring thing. So in a particular way, let's just keep everybody in prayer as we did last time when, when the other fire was raging. Pray for the safety of the firefighters, the consolation of uh, all of the people. This young family from Quincy was there, they had two young kids talking to the father. He said, the, you know, kids are resilient, but every once in a while they just break down. because We think they're doing okay, but then the stress, all of a sudden they have a meltdown. He said, so the kids are melting down. because so it's from the stress of it all. But let's keep everybody in prayer in a very particular way. So we beg the Lord to end this, this fire. Let's dive into these amazing, famous readings. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So in the seminary, all the young men. So I was in the seminary. About there was 180 of us, and every seminarian has a house job, as we call it, just kind of like in your normal household. If You have kids; you don't just sit on the couch, do you? No, you got your job to do. You got to mow the lawn, got to do the dishes, take out the trash. You don't just sit carefree, even in the seminary. Everybody has house jobs to do, and one particular year. I have one of the coolest house jobs. I was the seminary photographer. It was cool. So, so basically, whenever we had big events in the seminary, myself and another seminarian, we just take pictures of everybody, take pictures. It was, it was fun. It kept me out of the manual labor. Just click. I mean, big deal, right? And in 2009, we were called, myself and I, to go to the Lateran Palace. The Lateran Palace. And because at the Lateran Palace, they were hosting a very elite group of Catholic benefactors. They were hosting a charity and raising money for the Holy Father, for the Pope, Pope Benedict XVI at the time. And the Lateran Palace was a gift by the Emperor Constantine in the fourth century. Remember, Constantine was the first Christian emperor. In the year 313, he... he He decrees the Edict of Milan, therefore legalizing Christianity for the entire Roman Empire. And I think Constantine felt guilty for 300 years of persecution. Remember, they killed us for 300 years. And so as a gift to the Pope, he gave them the Lateran Palace. And for a thousand years, that was the main residence of the Pope. And eventually they would move to Vatican City. But this palace Is massive. Because remember, the Pope is also a political figure. So the palace was supposed to be a place to awe. Monarchs, kings, nobility. And so we were in this room now. And now my job was just to take the pictures of all the rich people snoozing with one another. You know, just just mingling. Because people from all over the world were here. In this jam-packed elite dinner. And so luckily... We got to sit down with them and to eat free food. I mean, take pictures of free food. I was a happy 26 year old. And at the table now, can I give you an idea of just the high octane of the crowd? Just my little table of seven people. The net worth of that group easily surpassed a billion dollars. These were business leaders of the Catholic world. They were, I mean, I can name a couple of businesses and you would recognize them. And so somebody in the group, since we all didn't know each other, posed the question. When did you encounter Jesus Christ? And so everybody had to go one at a time and explain their conversion, why they were so on fire for the Lord. And I remember this one particular gentleman. He was a stockbroker from Manhattan, Wall Street. I remember, I forgot his name, but I remember his bald head. I just remember he was bald. His, his head was shiny in the, in the palace lights, with the candlelight flickering over his head. Was, I just remember that for some reason. So he, 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 he recalled that he grew up in a completely non-religious home. Non-religious. As a young man, works on Wall Street, immediately hits it big. I mean, tens of millions of dollars. This young man, single, filthy rich. And so one day he said he was sitting in his uh, condo apartment in Manhattan. And he stopped himself, now I'm filthy rich. Okay, what do rich people do? Oh, rich people buy art. So he started buying all of this modern art. And what do we all know about modern art? It's ugly, isn't it? <laughs> in my humble opinion, right? it's ugly. And then, so now we're sitting there with this whole collection of modern art. So he says, oh, what else do rich people do? rich people buy renaissance art. Now, every student of art history knows what is 99.9% of the subject matter of renaissance art. Think of Michelangelo, Raphael, Donatello, Caravaggio, Fra Angelico. Think of the, the, the big hitters of renaissance art. They depict biblical stories. So we're sitting there now with this vast array of renaissance art. He's looking at it. He says, hmm, Since I own this, I should maybe know something about it. Picks up the Bible, and he starts to read the stories. Remember, he's never been exposed to Christianity, ever. Never. Completely secular home. And as he began to read the stories of St. John the Baptist, the saints, the incarnation, the immaculate conception, the virgin birth, he said he began to notice something deep within him. That there was this joy that began to to rise out of his heart. And he thought that was odd. And he was hungry. And he kept wanting more. He said the satisfaction that he got from reading the narrative, the biblical story, brought him a peace and a happiness That his tens of millions of dollars, that his yacht, all of the real estate he owns, all of his fancy vacations, says none of that ever brought him joy or peace or happiness. None of that. And providentially at this time, he encountered a holy priest. Because in Wall Street, we have a mission, the parish on Wall Street there, the priests there are dedicated to the evangelization of the rich. And he met this priest and invited him to a Bible study. And set him on fire. Set him on fire for the Lord. Fell in love with Jesus Christ. Converted, became Catholic. And that's where I met his bald head at the Lateran Palace in Rome. <laughs> Taking this picture. What <laughs> he discovered... Was what the crowd in the gospel today discovered. Looking here now, the famous story of the multiplication of the bread. This miracle of Jesus is the only miracle of his found in all four gospels. It hit the early church in such a powerful way that the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all incorporated when they wrote their Gospels. It was that hard-hitting. And John, in a very particular way, he highlights the details in this Gospel where, as a first-century Jew, the meaning was absolutely clear. John begins. Thousands of people now flocking after Jesus. And it says they go to Jesus. Why? Because it says that they saw the signs he was performing. John never uses the word miracles, by the way. He always uses the word signs. What are signs? Signs are an external reality, which points beyond itself. Think of a sign, a road sign. We see signs all the time. Sign says 55 miles per hour. What is that sign telling you? It's not pointing to itself, but rather, hey, slow down. (laughs) Stay at 55 miles per hour. It's pointing to a reality outside of itself. So signs now, as Jesus begins to perform them, are not pointing simply to himself, but are pointing elsewhere, higher. So the people now are coming to him because they're starving and they're hungry and they see something in Jesus which the world cannot ever provide. And then he lays the details. Jesus went up the mountain. The word here is ros. And remember, if I'm a first century Jew, why do I love mountains so much? Because mountains, remember, are places of encounter with God. Whenever you see a mountain, think, ah, I'm about to see God. God God's about to reveal himself. Which is why, again, remember how I mentioned whenever you walk into a Catholic church, you always walk up a flight of stairs. Why the altar, the sanctuary is always elevated. It's never on the same level as you. You notice that? Why? Because this is supposed to recall a mountain experience, encounter with the Lord. So now John says, Jesus went up the mountain and where he sat with his disciples, the Jewish feast of Passover was near. Hmm. If I'm a first century Jew now, John just mentioned mountain, Passover, where do we last encounter a mountain, Passover, and a miraculous feeding from bread? Who was the pivotal figure of the Old Testament? Moses. Moses. And so all of a sudden, in my first century, we drew all of these details that I'm reading. Mountain, Passover. When was the last time miraculous feeding of bread? Remember when Moses was, was journeying the people outside of the outside of Egypt leading through the desert? Through the wilderness, God provided them, when they complained, bread from heaven. When they would wake up, all of a sudden, there would be bread in abundance. And they had their fill. And on Mount Sinai, remember the mountaintop? That's where Mount Sinai, where God gives humanity the Ten Commandments. The very moral code, which would become the fabric of our civilization. Moses comes down, encounters the people. Place of encounter. And so every Jew here would immediately recognize Jesus is the new Moses. But it doesn't end there. As the story continues, as Jesus is about to perform the miracle, it says, Jesus tells them, have the people recline." Now there was a great deal of grass in that place. That's an odd detail, isn't it? Why are you going to mention grass? This is the only detail of the grass in that mountain place that the other Gospels do not have. Why does John mention this? We're first century Jews. I hear that Jesus has the people recline on a grassy mountain. What am I going to think about immediately? Psalm 23. If you've ever been to a funeral, you know, this Psalm, this is probably the most common Psalm that a family will choose at a Catholic funeral. I want to read this to you. Psalm 23, with all of that detail. Remember, every Jew would have recognized it because every Jew memorized the Psalms. They heard it every single time we went to synagogue. They prayed it in the morning. They prayed it in the evening. It was the Psalms were the lifeblood of the Jewish people. It was songs. They sang it. They chanted it. They knew it by heart. So that's why when the details are emerging here, it was Psalm 23. And it reads. Now listen, this utterly beautiful. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Connection, connection. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Now it becomes utterly clear what Jesus is about to do here. Jesus, like Moses, who feeds the Jewish people in their journey from the desert, now himself will multiply the loaves in a more miraculous way. And it says here again, the details are utterly profound. Now it says that they had so much an abundance of food, of the miraculous feeding of the bread, that they gather in how many baskets? Twelve. Ah, and again, if I'm a first Jewish person, what am I thinking? The 12 tribes of Israel. What Jesus here now is doing, he is reconstituting, feeding the family of God, which have been scattered afar by sin. 12 whisker baskets in abundance. God, who completely blows our mind, now will provide food. Now he's going to lay the groundwork. We don't have the full reading here. But later on in John chapter 6, Jesus will take now this miracle and he will blow their minds in a radical new way. He himself now will become food. I am the bread of life. For my my body is true food and my blood is true drink. Do you see now why Jesus will take this, these miracles built upon it on this grassy mountain just as Moses fed the Jewish people? All of that was an prefigurement for what Christ and God will eventually do when he gives of himself completely and he will satisfy and feed the soul of the human heart. God has come to feed us with his very self. That is why Christianity will always be a religion for hungry people. I don't know about you, but I'm starving. Oh, I am starving. Because I know no matter how much I accumulate in this world, no matter all the glories, no matter what the world provides, I will always be hungry. I'll be hungry for Jesus Christ because, as we all know, we are not made for here. Jesus Christ will give of himself completely, and it will satisfy the depths of the human heart. My friends, the Holy Eucharist is that bread from heaven. Right here is the satisfaction of your heart, your soul, your longing. This, my friends, is the consummation of Psalm 23. And I'll read this to you again. Listen to it wisely. The Lord is my shepherd, nothing else. I shall not want because I'm not made for anything else. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He provides our food. He leads me beside still waters. No matter what happens, my heart always at peace. And he restores my soul when I consume him in the Holy Eucharist. A peace that goes beyond all understanding. A peace that the world fails to even come to. Now do you see why that bald-headed stockbroker was at the Lateran Palace? You see why now he was there? Because his heart was converted when he met Jesus Christ in the breaking of the bread. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.